Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning everyone that's in the United States and around the world. Shalom, peace. My name is Kennard. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God, a biblical instructional program. This program today will be interesting. It's about murmuring and complaining, how to stop it. If we all want to be honest with ourselves, we've been guilty of doing that, complaining and and not being patient about things and just saying horrible things that aren't true. And so, um, because we're frustrated. So we're going to talk about how to overcome that. But uh, what I'm going to do first, uh, as a tradition on this program, I've been doing it almost for seven years, uh, we will go to watch.org to find out what's going on in the world. And then uh, what we're going to do is um, talk about what's domestically or in this country, in the United States, happening. So if you are by your PC right now, your iPhone, listening to me or Android, uh, type in watch.org, www.watch.org, World Watch Daily Koenig International News. He does an excellent job of letting us know what's going on in Jerusalem and in the Middle East. I'm reading a headline here. It says, Netanyahu warns Gaza residents away from Hamas posts. Uh, right here it says, live blog, Israel's offensive in Gaza. And so these things are continuing in Gaza. And there's a prophecy that uh, I remember about Gaza in the book of Zephaniah. Um, turn here, here in Zephaniah chapter uh Two verse four. Actually, Amos. Amos talks about Gaza too. Uh, Amos chapter one, beginning in verse six, says, "Thus says the Lord: For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away. Therefore, because they carried away captive, the whole captivity delivered them up to Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the palaces thereof." So uh, that's one prophecy concerning Gaza. And another one is Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 4. It says, For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ashkelon a desolation. They shall drive out Ashad, or Ashdod at the noonday, and Ekron shall be rooted up. And this is in the context of the following. This happening, Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 1. Gather yourself together, yes, gather together, O nation not desired. Verse 2, before the decree bring forth. The day pass as a shaft, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. So this is a prophecy. Verse 3, 
of Zephaniah chapter 2. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be you shall be hid in the days of the Lord's anger. And then he talks about Gaza. So obviously Gaza is going to play a role in end-time prophecy. Another scripture about Gaza is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 5. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 5. Ryan chapter 9, verse 5. Ashkelon shall see it and fear. Gaza also shall see it and be very sorrowful. And let's read the context here. Uh, Zephaniah 9, verse 1. The burden of the Lord, word of the Lord in the land of Hardrock and Damascus shall be the rest thereof when the eyes of, of man, as of all the tribes of Israel, shall be toward the Lord. And Hamath also shall border thereby Tyrus and Sidon, though it be very wise. And Tyrus did build herself a stronghold and heaped up silver as the dust and fine gold as the mire of the streets. Behold, the Lord will cast her out, and he will smite her power in the sea, and she shall be devoured with fire. Ashkelon shall see it in fear. Gaza also shall see it and be very sorrowful in Ekron. For her expectation shall be ashamed, and the king shall perish from Gaza, and Ashkelon shall not be inhabited. And so uh, many times prophecy is dual in fulfillment, meaning that similar things that happen in the past will happen in the future, but there is no doubt, no doubt that Gaza is going to play a role in end-time prophecy. So I, that's why I wanted to read these scriptures to you in reference to that. Now, Gaza Salvo continues. Over 60 rockets hit Israel. Fighting continues for fourth day after ceasefire collapse. Rocket fire from Lebanon hits northern Israel. There's another prophecy that you need to understand in reference to what's going on in the Middle East uh, in Judges. Let's turn to Judges chapter 2, verse 1. Judges chapter 2, verse 1. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swore unto your fathers. And I said, I would never break my covenant with you. Verse 2, and you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. Verse 4, and it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum. And they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man to his inheritance to possess the land. So, and see, the people wept because they knew that what he was saying was true. And, and, and Israel still weeping to this day, <laughs> figuratively, because uh, they are still allowing the, the people to, to do what they're doing in the land, the Palestinians. So until they do something about it, this prophecy is going to continue to be fulfilled, unfortunately. So this is something that that uh, Netanyahu, as, as the ruler of Israel, he needs to be telling his people uh, or teaching his people this prophecy in Judges chapter 2. But I know that uh, currently, anyway, if he is doing it, uh, it's not having any effect. But I doubt seriously he's uh, teaching and preaching this message to do something. Uh, drastic here to end all this um, Palestinian mess and every or Palestinian related mess and so forth. So um, just pray that we should, we should be praying for our leaders and we should be praying that Netanyahu comes to his senses and 
he um, does what he should do to um, bring peace to the Middle East. Because right now Israel is not really doing what they should do to bring peace to the Middle East. And that's the reason why there will always be chaos until he does what needs to be done. Unfortunately. So, we need to understand what's going on domestically in this country. Um, Let's turn to the economic blog, economic collapse blog. This is an excellent blog, and it really uh, keeps you up to date. about uh, domestic or in this country. This is where I reside in the United States, what's going on. Uh, the If you want to save this, because uh, I really highly recommend that uh, implore that you uh, review this website, theeconomiccollapseblog.com. If you're by your, your PC or iPhone, you can go ahead and type that in and read along with me. The economic collapse, and he states here, are you prepared for the coming economic collapse in the next Great Depression? Most people aren't. And he has uh, on uh, the top of the website a menu bar, home, gold coins, silver coins, emergency food, contact, military surplus, etc. But anyway, the headline here says, new bill in Congress would ban private citizens from owning body armor. Says 30 stats to show to anyone that does not believe the middle class is being destroyed. Uh, uh-oh, police shoot and kill another young black male in the St. Louis area. And so this is causing chaos. And why so much anger in Ferguson? Ten facts about the massive economic gap between white America and black America. So, you know, it's, it, this is going to continue on. Sin has, has certainly caused these things and until we repent and realize that we need need to start obeying God none of this is going to change none of this is going to change at all unfortunately so let's understand this and let's understand that um we need to take God's word seriously because if we don't do that, then we're going to continue to um, have issues um, that will cause us to continue to get cursed. So let's let's understand that. All right. Um, before I even talk about murmuring and complaining, um, I guess this has something to do with it anyway. <laughs> Uh, many of you have listened to me and you know that uh, I have proven many times in the scriptures that God is certainly against homosexuality. But there's another issue that has um, come up to my attention and um, and uh, I, I need to certainly address this. Um, polygamy, um, plural marriages. Uh, that's a euphemism, I guess, for uh, polygamy, plural marriages. Euphemism meaning 
uh, you try to lighten up the, the major impact uh, of a particular work. But uh, we, we need to pay real close attention to what the Bible says about polygamy. Uh, and, and we need to use uh, our common sense about it. And I'm going to go back to Genesis. Genesis means beginning. And so this is a foundational scripture. Uh, in Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit because I feel the Lord is leading me. Matter of fact, I know he's leading me to talk about this. And uh, I know this is going to get some people angry because there's some people that strongly believe that polygamy is really a great thing to do and and uh, God is all gung-ho about polygamy. Well, let's, let's get to facts before we assume those things because those are certainly assumptions. So let's, let's turn to... Um, that God jumped up and down because David had many wives. Well, I, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible, folks. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 21. And I'm going to read these scriptures very slowly so that you understand. Genesis 2, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, or Adam, and he slept one of his ribs. He didn't take several of his ribs. He took one of his ribs. All right. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. Now, what did he do with the rib? He created a woman. Verse 22, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man. Now, let's understand, the rib is just one rib, not several or two ribs. Okay, And made he a woman, one woman, not two women, and brought her unto the man. In verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so it was she that was taken out of a man, not several women. All right? In verse 24, Therefore shall a man cleave or leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Now, does that word say wives? No, it says wife. And so if you, this is a commandment right here, folks. All right? Right here in Genesis 2, verse 24. It tells you to... What? It says that a man shall marry a wife, not wives, and they shall be one flesh. So it's describing a marriage between a male and a female, and that is one flesh, a ehad in Hebrew. It does not say that a husband and several wives is one flesh in this scripture. People can eisegesis or put that their own thoughts into that scripture all they want. It doesn't say that. And so we have to take the words from what it says. In verse 25, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So that's what your Bible says, ladies and gentlemen, that a marriage, the way he created it in the beginning. And remember now, in this passage, uh, actually in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning was the sixth day. And so when he created the institution of marriage, he said that was good. Okay? So marriage, the way he created it, was good. Genesis 1, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. 
in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Okay, he didn't create several males and several females, or one male and several females. He created marriage, male and female. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, he said that everything he created was very good. So the original state of creation, the marriage that he created, was good. All right? Now, what is the Bible definition, James, chapter 4? James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and does it not, to him it is sin. Now, God said that the original state of creation, which includes marriage, was good. It was good. All right, so that should help you understand something here. I know this is, if you don't do thorough Bible study, it's kind of hard to see that God does not approve of polygamy. <laughs> Uh, but I'm going to prove to you today that he does not like polyg polygamy and is really not good to be in that state, ladies and gentlemen. And if it's not good, it certainly is, is sin. All right, so let's understand that. And I have to preach the truth. And I know this is going to make some people angry, but that's just too bad. You know, I'm going to show you what the scriptures say. I'm familiar with all the other scriptures that people try to use to say that polygamy is accepted of God and is okay, and he's really smiling because a man has several wives. But uh, no, you've got to look at other scriptures, too, that indicate that he's not smiling about it. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is a significant scripture. This is from the Lord here. And people eisegesis this scripture to death and put their own thoughts into it to justify polygamy. But uh, it says what it says, ladies and gentlemen. Matthew 5, verse 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her, and people say, well, woman, that's talking about wives. No, no. That, this word translated woman can mean either woman or wife. And I know that people who are polygamists, they want to put wife in there. But in, when you compare all the other scriptures I'm going to quote to you today, you study them. Plus, if you look at history, <laughs> current history, obviously this inspired word, means woman. Verse 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust, a desire after her, had committed adultery with her already in his heart. So that's the Lord's interpretation of adultery. If you even lust after another woman, it can be a wife or another woman, it doesn't make a difference. Okay? If you look on another woman to lust after her, had committed adultery with her already, this can be a woman or a wife. It doesn't make a difference. A woman can be a wife or a woman uh, doesn't have to be a wife. She can be single. And so that right there sheds light on polygamy. That's the Lord's own word. So if you want to argue with him, go ahead and argue with him and see where you get and go with that. Now, in 1 Corinthians, thank God, Paul clarified this. Now, this whole chapter, polygamists will try to say, well, he can be talking about several marriages. Well, this whole chapter is focusing on uh, a husband and a wife. It's not. It's not focusing on husbands, and it's not focusing on wives. First Corinthians chapter seven verse one. Now concerning the things there, if you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Verse two. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, which is sexual sins, including adultery, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. <laughs> 
all right? It's not saying let uh, every man have his own wives. It says wife. That's what the word, the Greek word means, wife. And, and then he talks about marriage all throughout this, and there's nowhere any indication whatsoever he's, he was referring to multiple marriages here. So, it's in, like in verse 10, First uh, Corinthians chapter 7, And unto the married I command, not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Let not her husband put away his wife. He didn't say wives. All right, and this whole thing, and you just need to study First Corinthians chapter 7. In no way does it advocate polygamy. It does not advocate polygamy at all. Period. So um, this is just the truth. It's just the truth. And then in verse 27 of First Corinthians chapter 7, it says, Are thou bound unto a wife, not wives, seek not to be loose. Are thou loose from a wife, seek not a wife. But and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned, and if a, a virgin marry, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. And then in verse 29, But this I say, brethren, the time is short, it remaineth that both that they that have wives be as though they had none. Now, I know polygamists say, oh, now he's talking about several wives. No, he's not talking about that. Uh, if you look at this, he's talking about wife. He's talking about one wife. Really study it and just take the words of what it's saying. Don't study what the paradigm of mod on your head. Oh, polygamy is okay. Because history and the Bible itself shows you that it's not okay, folks. You know, I have to preach the truth about this. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 19 to 26. Okay, this is a misquote here. First Corinthians... Well, I don't know what that is. All right, so Genesis, um, let's go to Genesis chapter 16. Oh, I'm sorry. I know what it is now. It's Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 19. Now, this is another thing, and this is going to be very difficult if you're closed-minded, but I want you to, to really listen to me here especially those who are polygamists and all gung-ho, jumping up and down, thinking that God is really happy about polygamy. Um, this whole chapter is talking about Cain. Now, what does, uh, what does John say about Cain, folks? Let's, let's, <laughs> and this is the, the Apostle John who was very close to, to Messiah, so I think we need to listen up. And, of course, we need to listen up anyway because we know that uh, John's epistles are the word of God. All right, so First John 3, verse 12, what does he say about Cain? Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. So Cain and his line was of the wicked one. Now, who, who's the wicked one, folks? Who's the wicked one? Who's the wicked one? First John 5, verse 18. First John 5, 18 uh, we know that whosoever is born of God sins not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one touches him not. The wicked one, of course, is the devil. And so, let's understand something. Who created sin? The devil 
created sin. He is sin, just like God is love. Um, if Cain is of the wicked one, then he's a son of Satan. And Satan represents sin. So Cain is a son of sin. And his line were sinners. There's not one righteous person out of the line of Cain. So keep that in mind, because you know where polygamy originated from, folks? It originated from sin itself, from the line of sin, Cain, who was of that wicked one. Cain is of the wicked one. So all his line is a bunch of sinners. And you know what? Polygamy did not start with Adam, because Adam was not considered a sinner like Cain, and Adam was not a polygamist. But here's the origin of polygamy, folks, and it certainly did not come from Adam. And that's the thing that you need to understand. This is how you'll be able to see that polygamy is not approved of God. He allowed it, and he had laws regulating it. But it's obvious that polygamy is a sin when you take a look at the scriptures. You get them, put them all together. All right? Uh, Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 19. And Lamech unto him two wives. And Lamech came from, well, let's, let's, let's understand where he came from. Genesis 4, verse 16. And Cain, who was of that wicked one, right? He's a son of Satan. Went out from the prey. He's a son of sin went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Verse 17, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And this is not righteous Enoch. This is wicked Enoch. <laughs> okay, because none of the line of Cain was righteous. And he built a city and called his name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And until Enoch was born Eret, and Eret begat Matthiel, and Matthiel begat Methusiel, and Methuselah begat Lamech, and Lamech took unto him two wives, the name of the one Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. So where did, where did polygamy originate from, folks? It originated from the line of Cain. And Cain was, a, was of that wicked one. So just put that into your mind. Polygamy originated from the line of sin, of sinners. Verse 20. And Adad bare Jabal, he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such have cattle. Verse 21, and his brother's name was Jubal, he was the father of all such as handled a harp and an organ. And so anyway, and in verse 23, back to Lamech and his two wives. All right, so this is from the line of Cain. And in verse 20, and Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy and seventyfold, sevenfold. Adam knew his wife, not wives, again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, has appointed another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enoch, Enos, and then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. So there's a, there's a, you have Cain's line, which has polygamy in it, and then you have Adam's line, which does not. So there, there's a contrast there, all right? And you really 
have to, to focus on what I'm saying here to, to really understand that polygamy is a sin biblically without a direct statement saying polygamy is a sin. But when you take, put all these scriptures together, you'll see that it is. Uh, Genesis chapter 5. And it talks about the line of Adam. And, and nowhere uh, in, I don't see in the line of Adam here, in the early line anyway, during the flood, that, uh, that there was anyone that had several wives. So I'm looking here in the line and I don't see it. And then uh, in verse 32, And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And even if there was polygamy in his line, it doesn't mean say that that was acceptable by God, and that God was just really, uh, he was really, uh, let's use your common sense. If polygamy was the norm, there would be one husband to several wives <laughs> all throughout the world, folks. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, logically, just like uh, homosexuality doesn't make any sense because there would not be any um Eventually, uh, creation would stop, right? And so the same thing with polygamy. If you had, uh, let's put it this way, you had man with several wives, seven wives, even two or three wives and so forth, that's going to affect the population. And then also, I don't have to turn to these scriptures. You can for yourself. You, uh, and With Jacob, tribes were were formed through Jacob's polygamy, but that doesn't justify it and say that's great that God, you know, was jumping up and down and saying that's great that, that Jacob had two wives. So, and you've got to remember, he died with one wife because Rachel had died. And so uh, he uh, was with one wife in the end. So, you know, we, we've got to use our, our common sense here. And, and, and then Genesis chapter 6 describes the world during the days of Noah. And and I want you to, to pay attention to this here really closely about what God says about this. Uh, it looks like this program may go over because uh, I'm spending a lot of time here with polygamy. So um, so it's going to probably be an hour, so I'm, I'm probably not going to get through. Uh, you can listen to the rest of the show in the archive. So. But in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that... The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. So, and more than likely, so, there were polygamous marriages uh, back then, too, uh, because Yeshua said they were giving into marriage and, and marrying. Hey, hold your place here, and then let's turn to um, Luke, um, chapter 17, where he talks about... Um, the days of Noah. Luke chapter, actually Luke chapter, there's a companion scripture to this here. I'm trying to find it here. Um, they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that the, the, the flood. So in all likelihood, the line of Cain still existed back then. So if, 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 if in the line of Cain polygamy started, obviously polygamy was certainly being practiced uh, continuously there. Uh, all right, so getting back to Genesis, the world was wicked. In verse 5 of Genesis chapter 6, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I would destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air. For repentant me not that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and, and Noah walked with God. Now let's look at his generations. Does it have any wives with it? No. <laughs> in verse 10, and Noah, he only had one wife. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And, it, and then here's the contrast. The earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And so let's let's look at the scriptural proof here that Noah just had one wife, and his three sons only had one wife as well. Uh, Genesis chapter seven verse thirteen. Chapter seven verse thirteen. And the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, Noah's wife. Noah's wife. That's one wife, not several. And three wives of his sons with them into the ark. So if God approved of polygamy, if he was really gung-ho about it, jumping up and down, great. One husband has several wives. Woohoo! Well, if he was really joyful about that, then why didn't he continue that practice with Noah if he approved of it? All right? Allowing something and approving it is two different things. Just like he allows abortion. Does that make abortion okay because he allows it? No. So let's let's use our common sense. All right? Uh and remember now, the current state, I mean, the original state of marriage was good. And if you don't do good, don't practice good, it's sin, ladies and gentlemen. All right? Polygamy created in the beginning. And so how can you say polygamy is good? Let's use our common sense, all right? Okay, so, so let's, let's go to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. And I'm just trying to use logic there. It says whatever, if, if you know to do good and don't do it, well, doing good certainly involves just marrying one woman, not several. According to Genesis, the way marriage was created in the beginning, it was created one man and one woman. All right, so Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Here's, here's a scripture that people try to, 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 to use. Abraham, the father of the faithful, they try to say that it's okay to have polygamy because Abraham did it. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's take a look at what this scriptures say and stop thinking polygamy is okay and stop reading polygamy is okay in the scriptures. Take the scriptures for what it's saying, all right? Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Verse 2. And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing... I pray thee, go into my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. So he obeyed his wife, and he shouldn't have because it was sin, as you're going to see here in verse 3. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. Okay, so here's polygamy. Now, verse 4. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived... Her mistress was despised in her eyes. So all of a sudden, this polygamous act caused pain. And the word despise in Hebrew is kala, and it means despise. It means to be in contempt. Now, is that to be in contempt of somebody? Is that, is, that, is that something that's good? Of course not. Verse 5. Now, here's, here's the key scripture here. This is the scripture that polygamists don't want to see or don't, they don't want to understand. 
Genesis 16, verse 5, And Sarah, Sarai said unto Abraham, or Abram, My wrong, my wrong upon thee. So she admitted that what she had told Abraham was wrong. Folks, what if something is wrong, that's sin, right? So this one verse is telling you that polygamy is, sin, is a sin. Genesis 16, verse 5, And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be unto thee, given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. Okay? And then this other verse here is pretty interesting. Verse 6, But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in. He didn't even call uh, Hagar's wife. He called her her maid. <laughs> so, so to him, that wasn't his wife. But anyway, is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt highly with her, she fled from her face. So, so Hagar did not live with them. She eventually got away from them. And, of course, when Sarah died, uh, Abram married someone else. But here, here's the thing. We've we got to understand something. The Bible plainly reveals that we should not adopt or... Um, we should not mimic what the pagans do. Now, there's no doubt, is there any doubt that Cain was a pagan, okay? Pagan meaning that he was worldly and he did not want to have anything to do with God. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, what does it say here? Deuteronomy chapter 12, it says, in verse 28, Observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee, when thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of the Lord. Now, there's too many cases in the Bible of polygamy where it did not do good. It, it was not good, folks. And there was pain and suffering and, and all kinds of, of other abominations that occurred because of the polygamous act. And that can be proven right out of the Bible. It's a simple Bible study. Verse 29, When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whether thou goest to possess them, thou seize them, thou dwellest in thy land, take heed to thyself that thou not be snared by fouling them, after that they be destroyed from before thee, that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination to the Lord which he hates have they done unto their gods, for even their sons and their daughters. They, he's just, that's one example of the many abominations. Verse 32, Whatever I command you observe to do it, thou shalt not add to it nor diminish from it. All right, so polygamy certainly was one of the practices of pagans. It all began with the, the line of sin, Cain. And that should tell you something. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a message, perhaps a hidden message, but it's being revealed now, that polygamy is wrong to do. Sure, he allowed it, but that doesn't make it right. And that's what polygamists don't seem to understand. Just like in Exodus chapter 21. I'm familiar with the two scriptures that seem to indicate that polygamy is okay. But he says, if he take him another wife, he's assuming that that some and some did, they took another wife. And did he say it was right to do? No. He says, if he take him another wife, her food or raiment and duty of raiment, he shall not diminish. So he allowed it. But that doesn't mean that he felt that it was right to do, that it was good. Another scripture that, uh, that polygamists use to try to justify uh, polygamy is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21. If a man, condition, if a man have two wives, 
one beloved and another hated. And, and they born him children, the beloved and the hated, and that the firstborn. See, he, this, this alludes back to the situation with Jacob. But again, is he saying that it's a good thing that you, that you have polygamy? Of course not. He's not saying that. He's not saying that at all. He's, he knows that there, there was some that wanted polygamy, that desired polygamy. So he had rules to regulate it, but that doesn't mean that he approved of it or he was jumping up and down saying, hey, that's great that you, that you have several wives. And a lot of this scripture that polygamists don't like is Deuteronomy 17, verse 17. And this is the context of having more than one wife. Deuteronomy 17, verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives. They say, well, that's talking about many wives. Yes, it's talking about many wives, but come on. Now. Your common sense is saying, obviously, God is not really <laughs> jumping up and down about having more than, more than one wife, folks. Okay, this proves it here. Deuteronomy 17, verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. I think that scripture is pretty clear, folks, that God is not really jumping up and down about polygamy. But anyway, and then we had the example of Solomon, right? I don't think I need to go there. But here's a, a commentary. I do use commentaries sometimes when they make sense. And this is a commentary from, uh, which commentary it is, from the GPS, the Jewish Education Society Torah Commentary. Uh have two minutes and eight seconds here before I go off the air. But uh, you can listen to the rest of this program in the archives. Um, I will talk about murmuring and complaining and how to stop it along with um, finishing this Bible study on polygamy. But anyway, um, let me get back here. Uh, the GPS commentary states the following. It says, many wives. A large harem would distract the king from God's teaching and from performing his responsibilities. Solomon and Ahab tolerated even indulged in idolatry to please the foreign wives. They married to the cement political alliances. However, the text does not limit the prohibition to foreign wives or to straying from God, and it must have in mind other types of uh, dereliction in addition to idolatry. A similar warning against distraction by the harem, harem rather, is found in the advice to a king in Proverbs 31, verse 3. A case in point is reflected in a letter from the Azerian king Shemash Adad. Uh, he ruled from 1813 to 1781 BCE, before Christ criticizing his son, Yashma Ada, king of Mare, for sleeping with women and neglecting his military duties. Halakhic exegesis, or that's Jewish law, sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't, took this law to mean that the king may have no more than 18 wives. Well, the scripture's not saying that. So that's something they read into it. But anyway, this is interesting. According to the corn, uh, the, the Cormoran temple scroll, it limits him to one. And that's interesting, based on the... Um, Qumran temple scroll, this verse, the way they interpreted the verse, is that it would limit a king to one wife. And I think that's pretty interesting because it justifies 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. If you, if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it states the following. And I'm getting ready to go off the air here in approximately 10 seconds. And you can listen to the entirety of this program in the archives. Okay, um, I'm in the recorder mode now. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it states, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. And, and people that are polygamists, they say, well, that one 
means can mean also first. Well, in light of biblical history, in light of what Yeshua said about lusting after another woman, in light of the fact that God said that the marriage that he created in the beginning was good and that the Bible definition of sin also is he that knoweth to do good and do it not, it is sin. All right? Based on all that, this word certainly means one. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, um, and apt to teach. All right, and then in Titus, Titus chapter 1, verse 6, it says, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. So that word, I mean, polygamists can pick and choose what words they want to change or whatever, but obviously based on what I've just told you, this is certainly talking about one. And let's, let's use our common sense. If God wants the leaders to have one wife, obviously, and leaders, what? Leaders uh, influence people to follow them. Obviously, that's an example for everyone, to have one wife. So let's, let's, let's stop it with all the, uh, the silliness here, and let's, let's understand what the Scriptures are clearly indicating. Now, let's get to... I covered the two scriptures that uh, allow polygamy. Okay, it's just like abortion is allowed, but I'm sure everyone understands that abortion is sin, right? But he allows it, right? He's allowing it as I'm speaking. He's allowing another baby to to be uh, brutally uh, murdered. All right, but does that, does that make it right? Just because God allows something? Of course not. And then he had rules to, to regulate that allowance, just like he particularly doesn't like divorce. But he allows it, and a divorce certainly causes pain, folks. And polygamy causes pain, too. And it's not good to do. It's not good to do. And it's not wise to do, either. Um, the record of history and biblical history prove that. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 8. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 8. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 8. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives. And Polygamists have used this scripture and said, oh, 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 uh, David, uh, God said he gave him his wives. That was good. Uh. Okay, well, let's read the rest of it. And thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have more of a given unto thee such and such things. So people assume, oh, he would have gave him more wives. Now, that's, that's not what it's saying there. That's not what it's saying. And let's understand something. How many wives did Saul have, first of all? All right, well, let's, let's, let's do some investigation here. And I'm doing this because David was a man after God's own heart when he obeyed God. <laughs> but when he didn't obey God, he wasn't, okay? So let, let's understand that. And um, this is from the John Gill commentary, and I think it's excellent what he says here. It says, And thy master's wise into thy bosom. Don't we read of no more than one that belonged to Saul, if he is meant by his master accepting Rizpah, his concubine, which is a lesser wife, still a wife, though, nor ever of David taking them into his bosom and bed, wherefore this can be understood only of his having them at his disposal, to give them to him to whom he please. The word may be rendered his women as well as his wives, and may design his daughters Merib and Mechel, who were both given to David, taken again and given to others. The Jews say that Elgla, David's sixth wife, was the wife of Saul. And that's what the Jews say, but I, I don't see... Uh, where that's 
That's true, but that's what the Jews say. All right, so, um, and we got to be careful about what the Jews or anyone else say when it comes to Scripture. You have to obey what the Scriptures say, and I only accept Jewish traditions and teachings that they line up with the Scriptures. Okay, so I hope you understand 1 Samuel 12, verse 8. You can't use that to justify polygamy. Um, and let's let's notice something here. What did the prophet Nathan tell him? All right, this is because of his sin with Bathsheba, right? So let's read. It says, and I gave, uh, verse 7 of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, and Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, thus said the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of, uh, delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, Shaul, or Saul. And verse 8, and I gave thee thy master's house, gave thee that thy master's house, and thy master's wives, which were two, and to thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah, and if that had been too little, I would more have given unto thee such and such things. I mean, he didn't go in specific about what those things are, and polygamists assume wives. You know, verse 9, Wherefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil, why would he give him more wives when he said in Deuteronomy 17, 17, that a king should not have many wives? Okay, so let, let's understand that. Second uh, Samuel chapter 12, verse 9, Wherefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now realize that, that David already had a wife. He had two wives. Now he's having another one, all right? So, so in verse 10, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thy house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. And he already was married to two wives already, which was wrong. Verse 11, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thy own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. And that did happen. Absalom did those things. Verse 12, For thou didst secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And then David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also has put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Now he was talking about, of course, the sin with uh, Bathsheba. And then people say, well, that's all he was talking about, but but, folks, I've already showed you in the beginning, if you're still not convinced that polygamy is something that God does certainly does not approve of, but he allows, you need to do some deep Bible study. You need to do some prayer. You need help. You really do. All right? There's no way that when the Messiah comes back, he's going to endorse polygamy. He's not going to have, okay, uh, uh, husbands, you can have several wives. I just don't see that happening. There's no commandment in the Bible where he says a man can have several wives. It's nowhere in the Bible a man can have more than one wife. It doesn't say that. It says if, in both cases, if, if. All right, it doesn't, it's not a blanket command saying that it's okay to have several wives or more than one wife. He allowed it, but he doesn't like it. Like he doesn't like divorce, but he allows it. First uh, Samuel chapter 14, verse 50. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 50. It's like he allows abortion. Does it make it right? No. He allows us uh, to murder. Does that make it right? No. Um, 
here, First Samuel 14, verse 15, the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Amaz, or Hemaz, the name of the captain of the host was Abner. And so his wife is Ahinoam, and he had a concubine. He had a concubine. And his concubine's name, let me find it here, is Second Samuel 3, verse 7. 2 Samuel 3, verse 7. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ahab. All right? So that's scriptural proof that uh, Saul only had, he only had two wives. One, his first wife, and then the concubine was a lesser wife, still a wife nonetheless. And uh, that's the scriptural evidence of that. And I think Abraham had... Uh, Trying to see how many concubines he had. Let's see. Yeah, Abraham had some concubines aware as well. So let me take a look here. Genesis chapter 25. Take a look here what it says here. Okay, here we go. Genesis chapter 25, verse 1. Then again, Abraham took a wife in her name, Keturah, and she bare him Zimran and Jashkan and Medan and Midian and so forth. And, and verse 5, and, and Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac, but unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away uh, from Isaac, his son, while yet he lived and eastward into the east country. And so... Uh, Abraham obviously had um, some concubines. So I'm still trying to find whether or not he had more than what it looks apparently. looks like uh, it was Hagar um, that he had. Let me see in the commentary here. Yes, but unto the sons of the concubines which Abraham had in the commentary, he said these were Hagar and Keturah. Though they are both called his wives, yet they were concubines. So Keturah, um, yeah, yeah, Keturah is called a concubine here. Now the sons of Keturah, Abraham's concubines, she bare Zimran. They were, as some rendered the word concubine wise, they were half-wise, the secondary ones. The Jewish writers say that they were espoused, but not by writing as wives were. They were under the lawful wife when they were any or of a kind of head service in the family, and their children did not inherit now the sons of concubines of Abraham were Ishmael by Hagar and the six above mentioned by Keturah to these. So, all right, so um, that's that's the situation with uh, Abraham. And uh, I don't know why it was called, it was referred to as she was a concubine. Um, um, maybe she was um, cohabiting. Uh, as a concubine during the time of Sarah, but uh, when Sarah died, it appears that uh, then he married Keturah. All right, so that's uh, perhaps is another Bible study about that. But anyway, getting back to um, polygamy here, Second Samuel chapter twenty, verse three. Second Samuel chapter twenty, verse three. It says, And David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, 
whom he had left to keep the house and put them in ward and fed them, but went not into in, unto them. And so they were shut up until the day of their death, living in widowhood. And people say, well, he did this because Absalom uh, defiled them. But the, the fact of the matter is that David stopped having sex with his concubines. So obviously he realized something um, later on in his life that he shouldn't have had them in the first place, obviously, because why would he stop having sex with them? So they were shut up until the day of their death, living in widowhood. Okay? And so uh, if they're living in widowhood, then he... <laughs> did not, uh, the commentary says here, neither used by the king as his concubine as they had been before, no suffered to many any other, or in the widowhood of life, which is so expressed, distinguished from widowhood made by death. This was such as a widowhood is obtained while their husband was living, so the tyrant widows of their husband alive or remaining. And so anyway, uh, he, he didn't go into them. And so that's pretty interesting. People don't realize that, uh, polygamous in particular, but he he repented of that. He, he he didn't want to have anything to do with his concubines. Plain plain and simple as that. So let's understand that. And then Matthew nine nineteen verse five to six is pretty plain again about what the master stated. Uh, Matthew Matthew chapter nineteen verses five to six. And he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So uh, he went back to the Genesis account, folks, uh, Yeshua. And remember that he created the marriage state as good. And that state that was good was between one man and one woman. And again, what does the Bible say that sin is? Uh, if you know to do good and you don't do good, it's sin. And the marriage state at that time was good. All right, so let's just put two and two together, and uh, you, you'll understand that polygamy certainly is not good, and if it's not good, it's, it's sin. Plain and simple as that. And I don't know polygamists would just go crazy about what I'm saying, but I don't care. I have to preach the word, all the word, not the word just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. In the New Testament, it really helps us interpret the Old Testament in a lot of ways, and, you know, and back and forth. But we have to take all the 66 books in consideration, especially when we're talking about a topic like this. Okay, so then fornication, let's understand something about fornication in, in uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16. Fornication is certainly a word that can indicate um, not only uh, you know, having sex with um, another woman and you're not married, but also adultery and any other sexual sin, all the sexual sins, Leviticus chapter 18. That's what fornication is. And in Ezekiel chapter 16, it's talking about him being married to um, his wife, figuratively. And it talks about her committing whoredom and adultery. And it talks about fornication as well. So... Um, when you look, uh, let me look this word up here. It has, has fornication here in, in, in Ezekiel chapter 16. I'm trying to find it here. Fornications. Um, it has adultery here. It says, but as a wife that commits adultery, which take of strangers instead of her husband. All right, so, uh, so that's described 
and says they give gifts to all the whores in verse 33, but thou givest thy gifts to all thy lovers and hires them that they may come unto thee every side for thy whoredom. And so he's calling uh, adultery whoredom in this context. And let me just type in the word uh, fornication so I can find it here. And there's one particular passage. Here we go. Exodus 16, verse 26. Thou hast committed fornication with the Egyptians, thy neighbors, great the flesh. And this, uh, keep in mind, he's talking about his wife here. And uh, fornication here, uh, it means a uh, verb meaning to fornicate the prostitute. It is typically used for women and only twice in reference to men. This verb occurs in connection with prostitution. Uh, figuratively, Israel's improper relations with other nations, all right, or other gods. As a metaphor, it describes Israel's breach of the Lord's covenant relationship. So fornication certainly can mean adultery and any other sexual sin. So that that's the, the Bible definition of that. Verse 29 of Exodus, I mean Ezekiel chapter 16, Thou hast moreover multiplied thy fornication in the land of Canaan and Chaldea, and yet thou... Uh, Thou was not satisfied wherein. Okay. All right. So, getting back to, I think I've pretty much have uh, proven to you that polygamy is certainly not a model of marriage. It's not an acceptable model of marriage. Uh, and it, in the beginning, it was not so. Uh, there's one man and one woman. And... In Genesis 1, verse 31, it said that everything that he created, including the marriage state, was good. And the Bible says that sin also is when you don't do good. And let me read that to you again in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him that knows to do good, if you know to do good and you don't do it, it is sin. And so for people to tell me that polygamy is not sin, I have to totally disagree with you based on the scriptures, the fact that when he created the marriage state, it was good. And this is what God said, that a man shall leave his, uh, his parents and cleave to his wife. And so that was good. And if you know, if you understand that, that's what God is commanding you to do. And if you don't do it, then it is sin. And so right there, that proves to you that polygamy is a sin, ladies and gentlemen. Polygamy was allowed... But it does not mean that he approved of it. Uh, it was so rampant, obviously, that he had to have some controls in reference to it. But that does not mean that he's approved of it. When Messiah comes back, he is not going to advocate polygamy, folks, based on the scriptures I just showed you. So let's stop. Polygamy is okay. You have to repent of that, that erroneous thinking. It is not okay. He has even influenced the laws of the land in this country to realize that polygamy is wrong ladies and gentlemen. And so let's, let's understand that. And uh, I've done all I can to show you out of the scriptures that is, is certainly not approved of God. He allows it, but it's not approved of him. And then people use Isaiah chapter 4. And this is a prophecy, Isaiah chapter 4. And realize that polygamy certainly exists in, in very sinful conditions of the environment in Isaiah 4 verse 1 and in that day seven women shall take hold of one man that's polygamy saying we will eat our own bread and wear our own peril only let us be called by their name and take away our reproach okay and he's talking and this is in a sinful state though 
and in this sinful state, certainly polygamy exists. And, and, and in that state, of course, God had certain controls uh, set in place for polygamy, but he does not approve of it. That's not, it's not good. You can justify it all they want. It's not good, folks. And I've proved it to you out of the scriptures that Sarah knew that she did wrong by telling Abraham to, to take another wife. That's right there. Okay, so let's stop the foolishness. Let's stop trying to put our own beliefs into the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. That scripture in, 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 in the New Testament talking about forbidding marriages, it's not talking about for, forbidding <laughs> polygamy. It's talking about for, forbidding marriage the way God defined it. Marriage is between a man and a woman. It's not between several, it's not between a man and several women. And another argument that people use, say, what about the parable of the ten virgins? All right, well, the ten, look, let's, let's look at something here in Ephesians. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Verse 31 of Ephesians chapter 5. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. It doesn't say wives. It says wife. Verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, not wives, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Okay, so here we go again. This is nowhere talking about polygamy. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, it states the following. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, not his wives, made herself ready. All right? Now, ehad, the concept, sure, many groups of people can be one. But when God is, is making the comparison on a physical, a physical marriage is between one man and one woman. Of course, a spiritual marriage, uh, that is different. Okay? The, the group, the assembly of God is considered one. But people justify polygamy and say, okay, well, that means that a man can have several wives, just like Yeshua has several wives. Well, no. The way God interprets that, as far as on the spiritual plane, is that the several people is considered one wife. But on the human plane, that's not the case. Because in the beginning, again, which he said that everything he created, including the original marriage state, at that time was good. It was good. And what is sin again? What is the components of sin? If you know to do good and you don't do it, it is sin. Okay? And so another final proof of this, again, as far as polygamy is concerned. Where did it start? Did it start in the line of Adam? No. The first recorded history of polygamy was in the line of Cain. Cain is of that wicked one. He was the son of Satan. His line was a line of sinners. That's where polygamy started. So give that some serious thought, ladies and gentlemen, in reference to that. All right. Now, what we're going to do is talk about uh, um, murmuring and complaining and that we shouldn't do it. And Exodus chapter 16, verse 7 to 8 is, is a good example of this. Exodus chapter 16, verse 7 to 8. It states, and in the morning, 
then you shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings, or your murmurings against the Lord, and what are we that you murmur against us? And then verse 8, and Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth that your murmurings, uh, which you murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against God. So when we complain, if, if there's a, a true messenger of God and he's just t- telling you what the scriptures say and then you complain about that, you're really complaining to God, folks. You're not complaining to, to you're complaining to the person, but you're really complaining to God because that's where the source came from, ladies and gentlemen. And that's something that that uh, we all have been guilty of. Now, I looked up murmuring in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary online, and it means a low sound made when many people are speaking, a quiet expression of an opinion or feeling, speech or way of speaking that is quiet and soft. So it's whispering. <laughs> whispering and complaining. Let me look up the word whispering here. It may be the same word that was used for murmuring. Whispering. Whispering and, and saying things. I guess that's not in the Bible. Whisper, whisper, right? I guess not. All right. Let me get back to this. Uh, in First Samuel chapter eight, verse seven. First Samuel chapter eight, verse seven. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Okay, so in, this, in the context of this, that they were saying that, hey, your sons aren't obeying God like you taught them. And so uh, we need to, um, in verse 5, the desire of the people was the following. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, And he said unto them, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. And so what did God say in Deuteronomy? He said that we should not follow the ways of the nations. And yet, of course, they're rebelling. And they're rebelling not only against Samuel, but more more so against God himself. And so that's something that we need to, to understand there. Now, Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Yeshua is plain about this. Luke 10, verse 16. He that heareth you, heareth me. Now, he's talking about his messengers, of course, those who are preaching the truth. And he that despise you, despise me. And he that despise me, despise him that sent me. Okay, so that's a very important scripture to understand there. Very important scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things, not some things, all things without murmurings and disputings. And this grumbling and, and disputings is, is uh, debating. So we should try to do all we can to avoid debating. If somebody, you, you show them a scripture and they still want to believe what they want to believe, you know, don't, don't continue to argue with them. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, it doesn't really do anything to promote uh, unity. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 10, it states the following, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyers. So he doesn't like us complaining, folks, uh, and just acting like God is not going to do what he said he's going to do, see, 
or doubting him or you know having issues about tithing and, and so forth which by the way I've uh, modified my article on tithing uh, the Lord has led me to understand now that, that there's just one tithe but that tithe is used in three different ways and so it's a very interesting article and and, I, and here's something to remember folks uh, in first John John chapter 5 verse 3 it states the following for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous and that word grievous in the Greek is baros, and it means uh, burdensome, uh, grave. So when someone is telling you to do something and it's grave to you, then you know it's a problem. And, and I just didn't realize that until recently God revealed this to me, that there's just one tithe, and it's used for three different ways, um, for three different purposes, rather. And uh, my article explains this in detail. So I, I really implore you, and, and tithing, when you do it the right way, is certainly not burdensome, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, most, if not all people, can certainly tithe off your gross income, just one tithe. That's just 10% of your gross income. Most people can do that. And if you can't do that, then you need to eliminate your debt and you need someone to work with your budget. Or you may need to get a, another job to make more income, and I can help you with that. And if you need help with that, please uh, email me at canard at mercifulservantsofgod.com. Okay. So in Exodus chapter 15, verse 24. Exodus chapter 15, verse 24. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So, uh, and, and he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And so the people were complaining about food and water and so forth, and and see, what they didn't realize is God God was testing them. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 1, he says, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers. Verse 2, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart whether you would keep his commandments or no. In verse 3, And he humbled thee and allowed thee to hunger and fed thee with manner which thou knew not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does he live. All right? And, and so that's a little context there. gives you a little context of what was going on, the reason why they were suffering. It was all good. He was trying to humble them. He was trying to humble them. We all need humbling, folks. So, because um, if we're not humble, we're not going to ever. Not, none of us are going to be in God's kingdom. And so, in Exodus chapter 16, the people were whining and complaining again. In Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 2, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then, then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather in daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto the children of Israel, that even you shall know that the Lord has brought you out from the land of Egypt. And verse 7, And in the morning then you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hear of your murmurings or complainings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord hears your murmurings. 
which you murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against God. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. All right. So, and in verse 9, And Moses spoke unto Aaron, say, Say unto all the congregation of children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hears your murmurings. Or your murmurings. Or your murmurings. All right, so let's go back here. Well, I can show you several other scriptures uh, about the murmuring. Uh, then not down Numbers 14, verse 27 to 30, he decided to wipe out that generation that was uh, murmuring because of all that. And so how do we stop it? Well, first of all, in James 1, verse 4, it tells you plainly, James 1, verse 4, it tells you plainly, but let patience have its perfect work or her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Lacking, so we have to learn how to be patient. And certainly, in that situation, uh, back during the days of Moje, they were not patient, and that's the reason why they went, they got into the situation they got into. And in Colossians chapter three, verse one, it says, "If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, which Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on the things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God." When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which sake the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience, in which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. But now you also put off or eliminate all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, which is murmuring and complaining. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Okay, now one last scripture here, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Actually not verse 1. Starting in first, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our wealth, warfare... 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshy, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Messiah. That's what we have to do to overcome um, gossiping and slander uh, and certainly... Murmuring and complaining. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, last scripture here. It says, finally, finally, excuse that interruption there. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Uh, polygamy is certainly not something that is of good report. And so uh, if you're thinking about polygamous things, that, that's something that certainly is not of good report based on the scriptures and what it indicates of it. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't use the excuse that, oh, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel was was birthed from polygamy, therefore polygamy is okay. Or Abraham uh, had, a, had a wife, another wife, is okay. Well, how is it okay when Sarah admitted that she wrong, uh, that was wrong? And let me read it to you again. 
and this is the scriptures, Genesis. Genesis chapter 16, verse 5. And Sarai said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon you. What's something that's wrong, folks? Wrong in the Greek, it means cruelty, damage, injustice. Injustice. Abraham's cohabiting, oh, co- cohabiting with Hagar is described as a wrong done to Sarah. Or a sin done to Sarah. <laughs> so, so Sarah realized that it was wrong. It was wrong. That it was sin. All right, so let's stop the foolishness, folks, because when you don't obey God, it's, it's, we're all being fools, basically. And, and we need to to take heed to what the Scriptures say about this. And another thing, good, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, means uh, favor, glad, pleasant, Okay. Now, in James chapter 4, James chapter 4, in verse 17, good means beautiful, okay? Uh, fair. It says, to, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin, folks. That's a very powerful scripture, especially for polygamists that seem to think that polygamy is good. Well, no, polygamy is not good because... In the beginning, God created marriage with one man and one woman. Okay, and he said that was good. When that, when marriage is created in that state, and then he also commanded us in Genesis. I'm just trying to hammer this so that you understand that God does not approve of polygamy, folks. Genesis chapter 2, um, verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, not, yeah, father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, not wives, and they shall be one flesh. This is in the context of Adam and Eve being a marriage. All right? And so he, in this original state, he said that this was good. And good, in the Hebrew, also means beautiful, acceptable, best. All right? And so I leave you with that, and you have to understand that polygamy is a sin, folks. If you don't understand that, you need to do further Bible study. Uh, sure, he allows it, and he has rules for it if it exists in a, in, a, in a society. But he does not approve of it, ladies and gentlemen. And he's not jumping up and down saying, yes, a man should have several wives, you know, or, or, or more than one wife. He's not saying that, folks. Jacob died with one wife. Abraham died with one wife. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. David put away his concubines, and he only had one wife in the end. So let's understand something, ladies and gentlemen. Let's understand the truth of polygamy. Sure, uh, the judge, um, what was his name, Gilead, he had many wives. What did the scriptures say about that? He said you shouldn't have many wives. In Deuteronomy 17, verse 17, it says that. It said that you shouldn't have many wives. So, again, did Gilead sin? Yes, he did, because he had many wives, right? So, um, the judge, uh, I think I'm mispronouncing his name here. Uh, I know it starts with a G. I'll find him here. 
see, judge. Well, let me just type in many wives. Many wives, and I should be able to find. And Gideon, I'm sorry. His name is Gideon, and Gideon had three score and ten sons in his body, so he had many wives. Okay, so did he sin? Well, let's find out. Uh, the Bible says that a king, and he was a judge, right? <laughs> he was a leader, right? A king should not have many wives, so he sinned. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, verse 17, folks. So I leave you with that. Uh, let's uh, stop thinking about polygamy. It's not good. Uh, it causes pain. It causes suffering. That certainly isn't good. That's a component of sin, by the way. Uh, suffering and pain, and not, not in every case somebody suffering pain is sin, but certainly in the polygamous case it is. You can just read uh, what it causes. You just read what it causes, and and sin causes curses. Things won't go well with you when you sin. <laughs> that's, that's common sense. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope uh, I've, I've given you an education about polygamy, that it is a sin. It's not good. It's sin. Based on the definition of sin, one of the definitions of sin in James 4, verse 17. And uh, if you have any other questions about this, feel free to email me at canard at mercifulserviceofgod.com. And until next time, God willing, Yah willing, may God bless and keep you. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.